Earlier this week, we looked at how a little-known immigration program originally intended to benefit poor and rural communities is being used, and some say abused, by wealthy urban developers. Congress must decide whether to renew the 25-year-old program next week. Tonight, economics correspondent Paul Salmon has a report about how the program is helping a poor rural area, but still stirring up controversy. All right, so welcome back to unsolicited bridge picks it's been a bit but we are it's been, that's it's actually been a, our tagline it's been a bit, it's been a bit. <laughs> no all of vermont's wonder none of its trolls and here we go with our second defining vermont pit the, uh, the new poor pit yeah what is the what is the nickname that we're giving this pit charles so the uh residents of newport called it or call it little beirut i don't know if that is a pc <laughs> However, it, it's not truly a pit uh, because they like kind of knocked it down, but there's still like a lot of like walls and stone walls up because <laughs> there was a, a bunch of historical buildings. And now it's just surrounded by a tacky fence. <laughs> Anyhow. The Beirut thing is not politically correct, but it's also, there, there, there's no politically correct comparison to make because it does look like some place that you know we bombed with our wonderful imperialism yeah. so little uh little imperialism, imperialism we can call pit. it that the pit of imperialism uh yeah and it's definitely become the poster child of the jp eb5 scandal featuring ariel kiros and bill stanger they'll plan press releases to be in front of the pit and just add some emotional depth to the otherwise very empty announcements they make what, there. What I think excites me about this, um, as opposed, or not opposed to, but you know, the, the, we had the tale of two pits. We started with the Burlington pit, which I know a lot about, which is like a far more cut and dry story. It's like so much clearer what happens. And what excites me about this is like, I finally now understand what happened with the Newport shit. Like spending hours today reading about like what, happened i'm like i get it now it is complicated as shit <laughs> and it is meant to be and honestly the newport pit is like the smallest i think one of the smallest of the ponzi scheme the parts of the ponzi scheme slash grift oh my fucking um, god that they the that ponzi they scheme into. i had to fucking <laughs> <laughs> the google search ponzi scheme <laughs> yeah i i had to hear or read that term like eight fucking times before i'd finally decided to look it up but we well, can talk about this. <laughs> we should. The only difference between this one and the Burlington one is like the Burlington one didn't get off the ground enough to be a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Well, in, well, in the way I the mean, funding tra- works. Yeah. Which is the definition of a Ponzi like nah. scheme. Agree to disagree. <laughs> so, anyhow, how did the pit get there? So, they were preparing to build a shiny new town center, but after demolition, everything screeched to a halt. We are talking about Newport here. We're not talking about Burlington. Newport. <laughs> Only this time, rather than the problem being gridlock from dealing with shitheads like Sinex, mm-hmm. this project mm-hmm. was put to an end because of a massive federal fraud investigation. Kiros and Stenger were living it up with that Ponzi-like scheme, which is a form of fraud that relies on a constant stream of investors, essentially, as it takes money from the most recent investors to pay the earlier investors you're right uh sinex is too dumb 
Yeah, nobody. No, Sinex is talking about how he's just bleeding out money with his Burlington pit. There's no nobody is getting paid. So yeah, so victims in these in Ponzi-like schemes, meaning the investors who are getting duped, they believe that profits are coming from product sales or from other means, and remain unaware that actually other investors are the source of funds. It's similar to a pyramid scheme. Both are based on using new investors' funds to pay the earlier backers, and they are usually too good to last. Mm. So I'm glad I did finally look up that definition because... I'm disappointed that Vermont's <laughs> largest Ponzi scheme did not involve maple syrup. In, in some I'm way just putting that out there. I'm sure. Right? <laughs> I don't think they invested in any maple syrup companies. Maybe no, I'm wrong like, on that. I feel like, everything. you know, tourism is tied to maple syrup i don't know no i'm not giving that one to you at all <laughs> and no. the von trapp von trapp is not also not maple syrupy no just beer What's and, maple syrupy? and white culture hey quote unquote white culture hey i, I, I love von trapp family love. yeah it's got great white culture there so in this case kiros and stenger were using investor funds to revitalize parts of the northeast kingdom including revamping jay peak with a water park for example uh, and planning on some crazy yeah. bio lab that oh, we'll everyone in, was like, we'll get into that. <laughs> everyone was like, what the fuck is this going to well, do in Newport, Vermont? Well, everyone who lived there said that, but all of like the people in charge of the government were like, yeah, <laughs> this is a great plan. Everyone in charge of the government, meaning like Patrick Leahy, whose wife is from mm. Newport and whatever. Anyhow, his wife is from Newport. Yeah. I didn't. Isn't she from Newport? Or she's at least from the Northeast Kingdom. Well, her her uncle is a Pomerleau. And, uh, well, she is a Pomerleau. And her uncle is Tony Pomerleau. And he, at one point, had a deal to buy some of the land and work out a deal with uh, Stenger and Kiros, and it fell through. Leahy's involvement in EB5 is, like, so similar, I feel like, to his involvement in the F-35s and just, like, him always being there for some reason always being in the middle of it when you least expect it but him somehow not personally making any money from it or anything out of it like it's just it's weird it's really weird uh they've been calling him like the the godfather Godfather of of eb5 yeah yeah (laughs) who were these investors and how is this federal fraud and not something more local i don't know how did this slip through the cracks for so long to jump into that we need Wait, to do you actually not know or are you just pretend no i do know what that's the case oh, okay. <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what it would be if it weren't i mean if this weren't taking funds through a federal program it would not be the charges would not immediately be at the federal level right yeah i think so yeah anyhow so <laughs> we answered that one done these investors were rich people hoping to buy green cards to the U.S. I am not kidding. That's actually a thing. That's the program. And it's why we call this the EB-5 scandal. Yeah, it's, actually. What's amazing to me is <laughs> the way you describe it sounds like it's really just rife and just open to so much abuse. Are you, but you know what? <laughs> the, the climate in our of our nation right now, it just, this kind of corruption just makes so much sense when you look at who our president is. Sorry to make it national for a minute. But yeah, it's just like the idea, the idea of people like buying influence into our country when, for example, our, our president owes 420 yeah. some odd thousand uh, million dollars uh, possibly to foreign well, entities. Yeah, mostly like, foreign entities. Let's not kid ourselves. Like mostly foreign entities. Right. But here's, here's the best part is that one of the condos that Kiros bought 
with his ill-gotten gains was a Trump condo Aww, in New York City. So, so it cute. does connect. It, it connects. Makes your little heart like, flutter. Who the fuck is buying these overpriced shitty condos from <laughs> Donald Trump? Other people who are also grifting and scamming. Like Again, that's recurring that's all theme it is. in this podcast. That's all it we is. We talk about people who like to suck their own dicks <laughs> and have other people doing that in a circle. They just it's just all it's a, it's a circle. It's a circle. It's a circle of, of jerking. It's a circle of, of, of sucking. self-sucking. It's a, it's a circle of self-sucking. It's very confusing. <laughs> the, the math doesn't quite work out. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, so let's talk about uh, what the EB-5 program is as it stands. Just taking this straight from the USCIS, the USCIS administers the EB-5 Immigrant Investor Program, which was created by Congress in 1990 to stimulate the U.S. economy through job creation and capital investment by foreign investors. Under a program first enacted as a pilot in 1992 and regularly reauthorized since then, investors may also qualify for EB-5 classification by by investing through regional centers designated by UCIS, I can't say anything, USCIS, based on proposals for promoting economic growth. And I did not check into whether or not President Trump has extended the law since September 30th, which is when it was supposed to be up. But I'm guessing it just... Why wouldn't he? I mean, this is the perfect grift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what, um... What are, the, what are the requirements for EB-5? Like, how much you have to invest? What needs to come of so, it? So, yeah, there are two kinds of investments. Either way, they need to invest in a new commercial enterprise which is any for-profit activity formed for the ongoing conduct of lawful business. Each investment has a minimum that you need to pay to qualify for the EB-5 visas. There are standard minimums, which originally was a million dollars, and now last year it increased to 1.8 million to account for inflation, which from now on it's going to be adjusted every five years. We are more interested in the other option, yeah. which is investment in a targeted employment area or TEA. Um, and there are two kinds of TEAs. It can be either high unemployment areas, which are defined as areas having unemployment more than 150% the national average calculated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and rural areas, which are defined as areas outside of a metropolitan statistical area, in order to invest in those, rather than having it be 1.8 million, you have to pay 900,000. Uh, before it was 500,000. It just, again, it just changed. Right. So it was 500 and then a million. Exactly. Well, well, so it was 500,000 uh, specifically for the regional center in Vermont because of how it's defined as a TEA um, regional center. It was five hundred thousand was the minimum. These are rich, rich people from foreign countries. Who, These are rich people from foreign countries who don't want to go through the typical immigration process. <laughs> sorry, sorry. What is that phrase that people use about getting in line instead of being like illegal immigration? They're like, you should just get in the legal way. Again, this is a legal way, but it's no. This, this, so... this is the uh, the Disney Pass, the extra Disney Pass version of immigration. Like in Disney, you can spend, if you're super rich, you can spend extra to get in this special line that's shorter, that gets you on the rides exactly. faster. If you're, Capitalism. But if you're rich, you get to go to, let's not talk about this. Okay, so. <laughs> super rich. We're, we're talking like 1%, not 0.1%. So in return for these investments, which are made to private companies and are supposed to be for the revitalization of certain areas, sound familiar? Like uh, blighted areas of tips? Mm. <laughs> And in return for those investments and the creation of at least 10 new jobs, these foreign sugar daddies 
get green cards for themselves, their spouses, and children under the age of 21. Wait, 10 new jobs? Just give 10 people 50 grand. You've fucking created 10 new jobs. Yeah, I don't see. And this is the thing. I don't know how, <laughs> like, how you, you, you show that. Again, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert on these matters. I'm not a journalist. I just I am I am all those things and my professional lawyer, journalist opinion and expert <laughs> opinion. No, that's like that's so much money. That why five hundred thousand so dollars but, to create and, just ten. But jobs? then the other thing, though, the other thing is it's not just a green card. Okay, it's also a fast track to citizenship. All right. So like if my husband had only known about this program, he definitely would not have put up with my shit for so long just to get into this country, <laughs> right? Like $500,000 or a lifetime with an abrasive ginger. I feel like, <laughs> you know. Unfortunately, your husband was not born into the international 1%. But yeah, this is the thing that's ridiculous, right? So like for all of the talk about like national security and all this bullshit about like people coming in here and and being bad actors. The idea that you can buy your way into this country and have a fast track to citizenship, not only a green card, right? Citizenship means, so now you get to vote, you get to work for the government, you get to work in our, you get to work in national security. <laughs> like, there are a lot of jobs, even that my, my husband as a software engineer, yeah, there are a ton of things that he cannot do because he's not a citizen, mm -hmm. right? Because there are security clearances needed and all of these other things. And for him, marrying an American, that's generally considered the easiest and fastest way to get your citizenship. I don't know how fast it is for EB-5, but um, when they say fast track to citizenship, I feel like that's going to be at least like five years or less because that's... Anyhow, that is the draw to, to get investors, right? And you have people in government directing investors to certain projects also because developers, on the other hand, they get investment, right? Like, which, as we know from our last pit, is actually not that easy to procure. Technically, and we'll have to get into this, but technically they are not allowed. So Leahy and uh, Governor Douglas and Shumlin, and I mean, those are the big three. Welsh also was very involved. Bernie, to his credit, was actually not particularly involved in the projects, although he did. Yeah, he supported at the end of the day, but he wasn't like, yeehaw. He was just finally looking away. But those other four went overseas to promote EB-5. Now, yep. they weren't allowed to promote the specific projects. They were allowed to promote the regional right. center. Now, it just so happened that they were traveling with the people who had the only projects in the state. That was just a coincidence. I, oh, God, it's so weird. <laughs> um, we're not. We're just promoting the center that also the only projects are done by the people promoting their own projects in this same chat, <laughs> but separated by two minutes. What I, I think um, there was a quote from Leahy that I think really goes back to what we've been talking about uh, with pits and tiffs and, and just public-private partnerships and neoliberalism, where he bragged at one point early on where he was like, this isn't going to cost taxpayers a dime. Like, that was what he loved about the EB-5 program was it's not going to okay, cost... Okay, but that is tax bullshit. That's what he said. Right, but this is that's... getting back... This is like another similarity to the TIF situation, right? Because developers get tax deferral incentives. So I guess, in fact, the program started in California in the 1970s, and apparently California no longer supports it because of how much tax revenue it has taken. Because, you know, school districts, libraries, water districts, etc., 
don't see money from that development. Great, like with JP, you're pulling tourists to go and spend money also in, you know, the general store and like all these other little places. Like, right. great, yeah, that's development. But at the same time, like the huge amount of revenue that could be coming from taxes for those properties are deferred. Anyhow, and another thing that developers get is like zero accountability or oversight. No. Which is our favorite thing. Unrelated. Here are just a few EB-5 scandals that have occurred beside Vermont's. $125 million towards a Seattle skyscraper. $68 million for a U.S. energy company that promised that it was a risk-free investment. $89 million to an immigration attorney in Wait, Chicago. Wait, $88 million to, a, to an Im- immigration but- attorney. I I, ima- I didn't look into it that much, but I imagine, you know, they were like, you give me the money, I'll help you get here. We'll create some bullshit after the fact that says you created 10 jobs. Okay, yeah. Um, so, so, like, somebody who was working the regional center and actually just... Just, just an immigra- a private immigration attorney who was like, hey, here's a way I can make a... Sh- du- I can double dip. Um, Woohoo! 79 million. Uh, I don't remember where this one was, but they were getting kickbacks. 72 million in California. A lot are in California. We're an attorney used a good amount of that money f- to buy a yacht and other things. Which also, Kiros. Yep, $136 million where a real estate developer, I believe once again in California, bought $2.5 million home, did a lot of gambling. $100 million in San Francisco, where some of that money went to pay marketers overseas, like a, a good percentage of it. He like essentially stole $10 million and $7.5 million of that was used for that. Why are you always trying to shit on Vermont exceptionalism? <laughs> We're special, okay? I mean, we are we are exceptional in the fact that the Vermont EB-5 was by far the largest Ponzi scheme out of all the EB-5 Ponzi schemes. Thank you, Godfather Leahy. One other thing about <laughs> EB-5 that I think is just fascinating is that since 1990, 85% of people who have uh, benefited from it are Chinese nationals. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that 85% are Chinese nationals in the same way that like so many of Trump's investors are Russian oligarchs <laughs> who are just buying this property as this like investment holding whether it's coincidental yeah it's it's very interesting how you know china has a ton of billionaires now and so does russia so this is this is interesting because one of the things that i had assumed right is that investors are most interested in their green ticket to these great United States, at least in the short term. And so maybe they're not asking so many questions. I was thinking maybe that contributed to the lack of accountability or oversight because a lot of times investors put the pressure on developers to, you know, to get shit done. Well, Um, in in particular, if most are from a country that has a lot of corruption, you know, not that every country doesn't, I have to imagine most of them thought this is how you bypass. It's It's a bribe. Right. Like at the end of the day, like in a lot of other countries, you want to get citizenship, you want something done, you have to grease some palms. Little information is available to the public also. So there's no there's there's not the accountability to the public, just like with tips. Right. Um, And that's often thanks to proprietary information. Right. Like trade secrets. Um, They say you can't know about this because this company is keeping their trade secret. This is our secret sauce. You can't know about it. And, uh, and there's no provided list of projects receiving these funds. Like if you go to the EB-5 pages on the USCIS and everything, you can look up regional centers, but there's no list of projects that's e- easily accessible 
to uh, to know what's linked to this kind of investment and that's where it gets to like yeah you're you know about the regional centers right where originally the program was handled directly by uscis but in 1992 that responsibility started to shift to regional centers which was an idea created initially as a pilot and then renewed every several years since well because the the vermont one was in 2006 is when we first got the regional one which was like one of the first or the first regional one which is not long after all this shit started so it's it's yeah it's it's, it's interesting how like we got this regional facility and then yeah it lasted a whole 12 years which is what's great right <laughs> what what i like about Leahy is like it's not just that he was like godfather is the correct word but also i don't know a godfather usually gets something out of it he didn't like it's confusing to me what he got out of it but like there's a letter from 2012 of him essentially like thanking kiros and stanger for their work so the same year that douglas hulm Hulm was the whistleblower on on a state level that same year i mean like the some of the quotes like you read them back and he regrets nothing. He says he regrets nothing. Oh, no, no, no. He says that they created a program with oversight. So he's like, oh, no, 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 no. If oversight was a problem, that's not because of something that was inherent to the program. We created a program with oversight. He's basically like, this is all bad actors. For years. While I was complicit. But anyhow. In October 2009 from the Chalcedonia record. Leahy is quoted saying, this is a proven program and we have succeeded in moving Vermont to the cutting edge and harnessing it for economic development and creating jobs. Entrepreneurs Mm, like Bill Stinger have seen its potential and my goal has been to extend the program so that he and other business leaders in Vermont can move forward. In March 2012, in the Chalcedonia record, when he wants to make this regional program permanent, Vermont's regional center program is an economic engine for the state. Leahy said in the announcement, in a small state like ours, economic success is in one area is inevitably felt in other parts of the state. Yep. Making the EB-5 program permanent is just the start. We are working to modernize the program to handle the growth it has seen across the country in recent years. Vermont's use of the program is a model of success, and other states have taken note. Straight from the horse's mouth. It's fascinating to me, and there's, I, I feel like there was one quote I don't know if it was him or someone else where they were like, well, say what you will about the program, but we got investment into the Northeast Kingdom. Right. And like, to me, that's so telling. Like, to me, it's almost like you knew this was bullshit, but you didn't care. Right. Because you were promised millions of hundreds of millions of dollars that were private dollars. They weren't public funding. And it wasn't going to cost taxpayers one cent, as Leahy said. Right. So who cares? Which is bullshit. Anyhow, Leahy thought it would give the state this is a quote from him, right? He thought it would give the state the opportunity to develop tourism centers that could help the economy generally. Again, in the Northeast Kingdom, I mean, it's definitely something that was welcome. They want people to be investing in that area. They want people to be putting something other than like pretty foliage, like other reasons to go there. Like a water park is a great reason to go. And it's, I mean, it's not only from, you know, from here in the US, but you know, a lot of Quebecois are coming down to invest their money there. And so, yeah, like, you know, you you definitely see why people are thirsty for that kind of that those kinds of opportunities, right? No, you're right. And like, what's what's so tough is like, to some degree, Leahy rec- like Leahy knows, and most fucking state legislators know right. that under neoliberalism, the Northeast Kingdom and the rural parts of this country have been entirely divested and just entirely left behind 
And so, like, to me, what's so makes me so angry is like Leahy knows that, and he and others took advantage of yep. people in the Northeast Kingdom because most of the people who live there grew up there. Let's not kid ourselves. They're people who've been there for generations. It's not like they're getting a lot of new immigration. And there's a few people who move up there trying to start farms who, you know, have this rosy idea. God bless them. But there's, it, it's just so much of like government officials looking the other way because this community is so hurt. When you see so many people unemployed, so many people on, on welfare, so many people who are struggling, and you know that a good job and a sustained economic outlook for them is going to change everything that's bad in their life almost and make it better. And if you know how to do that, then do it. I voluntarily went up and spoke to Bill Stanger because I wanted to thank him. A lot of the farms were going out of business. There wasn't much opportunity for the youth in this area. And now you come here and it's like this big enterprise and there's building and construction going on and students are employed in high school. As lifeguards, ski patrols, desk clerks. A local economy that for most of Vermont's history has been at the very bottom, but now leads the state in job creation. So the Northeast Kingdom wins, tourists win, and so do the foreign investors. In one of the, the articles about the pit, after, the Newport pit after uh, this came out, like people were like, yeah, we know that. Like at the end of the day, we knew that this bio facility, none of the jobs were going to go to right, locals. Right, it's suspect, yeah. But yeah, not no. only was it suspect, it was like, we're not actually going to see the high paying jobs because we don't have no, the but... background in that. So why would they give us the good jobs? We'll get decent jobs. But then right. you have like the cost of living it would go up. But I was talking to someone recently who was saying about how Burlington, you know, the mayor and a lot of the city council, they want Burlington to kind of be like this North American Davos where like these multimillionaires come here for these these sort of conferences. But like I think I look at Newport and I'm like, that's literally what they wanted Newport to be like. That's that's at the the end goal. Private jets going into their their uh, uh, airport that they expanded in the hopes of all of this great new, you know, like that was their goal was like, we'll get all these rich people here. and Exactly. And that's what the hopes were for a lot of the locals, you know, when Brave Little State talked about, you know, reported on the pit in Newport, they interviewed people who had opened restaurants in anticipation right. of, of this, this influx of tourists, you know. And so most of the locals were actually hoping for this to boost the economy in that way, in, in you know, like having more people visiting bookstores and and restaurants and people who are thinking about that what they're thinking is we can make money you know it's not like they're like we want to make the local economy work and we want the local low income workers to come to our businesses because that's not what it's about because that's not no, the people who are it's about make having money. rich people yes. come on in and fork over their cash which again you can't fault you can't fault locals for that. I read I read the transcript to that um, brave little state, and a lot of people they interview like they are petite bouge. They are they're the they're the people who are running their local uh, Vermont you know their local chamber of commerce. They're they 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 are the local oligarchs. They're not like the immigrant mom or whatever who's like starting a, like a fucking dumpling shop and is like employing their family. Wait members. a second, but you just talked about how most people from the Northeast Kingdom are people who have been there for generations. So why are you bringing in immigrants to this conversation as opposed to the people who have been there for generations and have? Because the people who've been there for generations in a cycle of poverty don't have the money to start businesses. The people who are starting businesses in the Northeast Kingdom are people 
are people who've moved there recently or left. There was that guy, one guy who was interviewed who like had a law firm or something who left for 30 years and then came back. Like those are the right, people yeah. who are able to make it work in, in the Northeast Kingdom are people who moved away, made a shit ton of money and then came back and can either hemorrhage money or lose a bit of money or don't need to make as much money because they can buy a home with cash. Um, you know, a giant fucking home on the lake. Uh, and so like, that's the issue to me. Well, and, and I don't know if it was a Bloomberg article or a New York Times article that talked about it, but they talked about how like, you know, uh, Stanger promised this uh, almost $900 million uh, investment with 10,000 direct or indirect jobs that would be created. And they essentially talked about him, or maybe it was a, a, a PBS, but they essentially talked about him as almost being like this lord. The Northeast Kingdom of Vermont is an agricultural area at the top of the state, near the Canadian border. It's called the Kingdom because of its quaint pastoral views, but these days it's beginning to look more like a fiefdom for one man's economic vision. That's what I think about, is like a lot of the people who move to these areas who want to invest, whether it's, it's you know, EB-5 or it's just for, for uh, their own citizenship or people who are trying to start businesses to essentially leech off of this investment. The reason why I say that is because so much of these Ponzi schemes revolve around that sort of framework and that mindset. And the e and this EB-5 Ponzi scheme was so much that way. Because you look at Stanger's background, right? No, I uh, don't know what Stanger's so background he, is. So uh, he moved to Vermont in 1973 to run the Eastern Ski Association. He left, went to Pennsylvania for a decade. He came back in 85 and became the COO of J-Peak and was the COO of J-Peak onward. And Kiros bought some property from J-Peak a couple decades ago. He had gotten a no stanger and, and Kiros essentially had this Ponzi scheme where he uh, and uh, an ex-son-in-law of his, or who was a son-in-law at the time who became an ex-son-in-law, a f family friend who he had known, uh, when he married his wife, who was South Korean, when he was stationed in Korea, who his kids called uncle. Kiros essentially used these familial networks and the trust that Stanger had built in the community to create this Ponzi scheme. And so like that to me is the biggest issue is like that, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with someone who believes in capitalism, who has a small business and it's their family or, you know, has one or two employees who they're gently exploiting, like, whatever, so be it. <laughs> That's like the song, the fuck her gently song? Exactly. <laughs> exploit them Yeah, gently. you don't always have to exploit them hard. In fact, sometimes that's not right. Sometimes you gotta make some love and just exploit them gently, too. Um, <laughs> not that Stinger's innocent, you know, and there was even, like, something where Kiros talked about how he he would go to Stanger and be like, you need to sell this to Leahy, etc. Because Leahy, Leahy describes Stanger as a friend, even right, exactly. after the allegations came out. And former Republican governor Jim Douglas called EB-5 Pat Leahy's baby. Well, yeah, Douglas is not innocent himself, so. I feel like I have to confess that I watched A Deep Dig by Michelle Malkin on EB-5s. confess. And I laughed through so much of it. <laughs> They called the EV5 program, quote, green card social engineering. 
end quote. And they pointed out that regional centers, quote, allow for cronies to sink their teeth in, which they absolutely fucking do. But wouldn't Michelle Malkin love everything about it? Like, I don't you're, you're getting the richest. You're getting the most educated. Like, I mean, maybe she's no, that. No, she's the child of immigrants. She's the child of immigrants and wants people to come in the front fucking mm. door. So it's more she's pissed that they get the secret. The secret ways around. Yeah, I mean, right, I like coming from a from a first generation American or like a second generation immigrant, however you want to define things, you know, like when you make your way and and pull from like your parents' high aspirations from you to like I've reached American success, and then you see people just buy that. I I would imagine it would be pretty frustrating. Yeah. But also, also they asserted, which made me laugh a lot, that the Bernies and Leahys of the world are quote all for benefiting the rich and well-connected cronies as long as the government is running the program and that the program is not rooted in the free market and benefits their political interests, which I think, yeah, the idea of calling this program green card social engineering, like you're fucking spot on. Yeah. What's amazing is that I read an article where like the one person who got screwed over who would talk was someone that was like, yeah, we had to we had to sell our home and we had to dig into our savings. And like we're living in Florida now and we started an ice cream business, but things are real rough. And I'm reading it. It's pronounced Florida. Shut up. And I'm reading it. (laughs) And I'm just like, that's like that's the low end of anyone who's on the EB-5 program where it's like, sure. Absolutely. Like you were, you know, you were a lower capitalist. You were on the lower end of capitalism. You spent all of your, a lot of your savings. You still have a business, but you're no longer at the top of the food chain. You're now kind of more towards the lower end of the food chain. Could we get into the web of relationships? Because I feel like that, you know, as we're talk, as we were talking about, like how Stenger and Kuros, you know, they took advantage of Stenger's standing in the community the fact that he had been trusted in the community. They took advantage of the fact that because of neoliberalism, there was no investment and people were desperate for any investment in that region. I mean, they always have been. If you know anything about the Northeast Kingdom, like, you know, in, in the 30s, they made most of their money in the 20s and 30s bootlegging and uh, during Prohibition, uh, going across the border. <laughs> farming had been a big thing, but like there, there just, there's never been really a strong economy yeah. in the Northeast Kingdom. So we definitely, yeah. So like talking more about the local part of this. Well, because like so much of Vermont is just relationships and so much. Isn't it terrible the... though? It's a blessing and a bane. No, it's all, it's, I don't think it's a blessing because it's not, as we say that our podcast focuses on how Vermont regularly fails to live up to its progressive liberal ideals. And so much yeah. of relationships mm. that happen in Vermont, they're not the good type of community, which could lead towards communism or socialism. It's the type of community that lets the people in charge uh, make money with each other and off of each other. From 2011 to 2014, the developers and their family members gave over about $72,000 to Vermont Democrats. Um, To the party, $26,000 went to Shumlin, about $5,000 to Leahy, $1,500 to Welsh. And like so much of the EB-5 story is these politicians just just buying into this public private quote-unquote public private idea you know the public private idea 
where you, the, the public isn't actually get, spending any money. Uh, in October 2009, Governor Douglas uh, signed the agreement for the EB-5 program to start or the development to start. And a month before that, he went to South Korea to tour the South Korean ANC or whatever it's called, the, the bio facility which after the fact, he was like, it was pretty quiet there. Hmm. So he went there to do that. Uh, November 2011, Shumlin met with investors at an event in Miami with Stenger. And uh, he also stayed in Kiros's condo multiple times in New York City. Uh, in December of 2011, Stenger uh, testifies in Congress for EB-5 on Leahy's uh, request. And th- that video is on Leahy's website for a long while. <laughs> to have it be to have it be reinstated because it needs to be signed again every several years, every yeah. two or three years. Yep. So, so this was the hey, this is working. Here's the argument. Stenger is a great poster child for that. He's a uh, he's quote unquote local. That same month, Stenger got the uh, Citizen of the Year award from the Vermont Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Uh, September of 2012. Obama does sign the Leahy written EB-5 renewal bill that extends it for three years. Good job, Leahy. So it works. I didn't know about this. So so you're saying that in 2011, they were having meetings in Florida. That Does that have to do, I'm guessing that the whistleblower was also present for those for those meetings. The whistleblower was a Florida immigration attorney, Douglas Holm. I don't know I don't, how that's I don't know pronounced. if he was there for that, but Kiros had a main house in Miami and had spent time mm. there. So he had connections there. So I think <laughs> <Spent> that time, <laughs> you know, who knows what the hell he did there. But the same month, September 2012, after it got uh, renewed, the EB-5 program, Stenger held a press conference with Governor Shumlin and all three of the Fed delegation, Sanders, Leahy and Welsh, promising another $600 million dollars of investment on top of whatever he had invested at that point. But in the meantime, there's a whistleblower saying, hey, something's not right. And then there are internal emails saying, uh, suggesting that state officials are not taking these whistleblower complaints seriously, right? So here's where it gets extra fun. In June of 2013, Jay Peake hired former Shumlin aide Alex McLean uh, to essentially run their pit and be in charge of the pit development, the Newport pit. So we had one person who left the Shumlin administration for work to work for Jay Peake. Uh, the other person was Brent Raymond, who in July 2015 resigns as director of Vermont EB-5 regional program. Oh, shit. And then he was in charge of managing two different EB-5 uh, funds that were involved with Mount Snow. So here you have these two pretty high officials in the Shumlin administration uh, just up and quitting and then getting money from the EB-5 program. And, and before he left, there were there was complaints because in, in 2015, this was starting to get on the radar. As you, radar, as you pointed out, the uh, whistleblower came forward. Three years before. <laughs> it's starting to get on the radar. Sorry. I'm sorry. But this there was ridiculous. complaints that, that Brent Raymond uh, was going easy. And, and there was like an interview where he denies it. And he's like, I'm not chummy with them. And then like, you know, two years later quits and, and chummy with the chummy. Um, but, but, but that relationship didn't stop going back a little bit. Um, in July of 2013, uh, right a month after Jay hired former Shumlin staff person, Jay funds a nine day state trade mission to China. 
which includes Shemlin, Stanger, and Alex McLean, the former aid person. You know, Shemlin, of course, said that they weren't there to support the individual project, just the center, but literally his former staff member quit the month before. In April of 2014, Leahy and Welsh head to China to attend Stanger, Stanger's presentation along mm-hmm. with Leahy's wife, the Pomerleau niece. Um, in July of that year is when uh, Pomerleau uh, backs out of the deal. Backed out of a, of a deal regarding... With Kiros and Stanger in Newport. There was some... some they, they own a uh, uh, bunch of commercial property there. Okay. And they were going to do a deal and he backed out of it. Um, mm. And then the last thing is, as this was really getting forward in April 2016 and was really big in the news, Shumlin asked for emails of top former aides to be destroyed, including McLean, and argued that that was just a pure coincidence. Huh. So the the relationship between, honestly, everyone but Bernie. Are you sure you're not just biased toward Bernie? I mean, Charles? I'm definitely biased. But can you believe that, that Bernie, at the, in the position that he is in, he had some responsibility to know and understand what was happening in the in in this regional center, don't you think? Bernie has never struck me as a senator <laughs> that is just focused on Vermont. Like when I think of Leahy, <laughs> I like I mean the Echo is named after Leahy. Yeah, I was gonna like say what is named after Sanders. Nothing. <laughs> like Leahy, Leahy's old whole thing is like getting as much money as possible for the state and then getting his name on some of it. Like that's that's what he's about. So if his goal is uh, is something other than that, like I I do think he should have been responsible in terms of at least the knowledge of what was going on and whether or not that was his personal responsibility or the responsibility of his aides to say, hey, this is what's happening. Maybe you should say something about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Leahy and Shumlin's involvement is like, and not that Douglas or, or Welsh or even Scott are innocent, but the Leahy-Shumlin connection, not just uh, their relationship to Stanger, not just the free housing or free air travel to China. Like, JP paid for them to fly there. How? Why is that even legal? How is that not a bribe mm. of, of some sort. And it was over, it was $100,000. So like, yeah, maybe the, he gave back $5,000 that they, you know, that he donated to Leahy, but here's a hundred fucking grand that he just sat on and used. And But we're Vermont. We're different than everyone else. What's so fascinating about the, like, the ANSI bio the company ANC. that was supposed to be a Newport, that was supposed to be this cutting edge biotech sort of, you know, and thinking of Bernie and Leahy, it made me think of the F-35s. And Leahy in particular is he's not only just in charge of like, you know, our military as a senator. He's the head of the foreign intelligence. Uh, he takes a lot of money from them. He's like so connected to military contractors. And here's this other business that I feel like he was willing to look the other way. Because think about all of the, the implications that this could have if they were able to re- to make uh, in- internal organs in regards to uh, our military, like all of wow, the injuries they point. face. If, if Vermont was able to create state-of-the-art legs and lungs and, and whatever it might be, like I feel like there's a real connection there because Leahy is a huge imperialist at the end of the day. Now an update to a story we first reported last year about an economic development project that promised to bring jobs to rural Vermont and green cards to foreign investors. Now it's at the center of federal fraud allegations. So currently, uh, 
Goldberg, who uh, I don't remember his first name, but he was in charge. He was in charge of the Bernie Madoff. He was a receiver for all the Bernie Madoff money. He is a receiver for this. Um, the pit was bought by Kiros in 2013 for $2.85 million, even though it had only been assessed at $1.51. But this was before it was the pit. This was the, this was before demo. He bought the area is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. He bought the area and the buildings for two point eight. Which million. is like the town center. It's this block that's this in the center of Newport. Yep, right on the water. It was uh, he bought it for essentially twice its assessed value. Uh, it had not nine historic buildings on it. They knocked it down two years later in March 2015. Uh, then shit hit the fan. Within months, shit hit the fan. November 26, like literally right after they knocked it down. November 2016, they were able to get a little bit of money to say, okay, well, you're clearly not going to develop it. Let's do some projects around it. Projects meaning projects and not affordable housing something different than kiro some public private partnership that that wasn't because goldberg is now in receivership and he has to sell it or or do something with it he's got to try to make some money back Mm -hmm. they were also delinquent on taxes which they eventually were able to pay when a lot of kiro's stuff was in money was taken from him under what circumstances uh under the receivership it's weird because they took so many of his things and so much of his property but then they were paying him $50 an hour to be a consultant. Like in what, in what <laughs> other world do you steal hundreds of millions of dollars and the government is, you know, it's like such white collar crime where they're like, we'll still pay you an obscene fucking amount of money to do this work. Because you're smart. Because what you did took brain. And you have a luxury lo- lifestyle that, you know, you just, it's just yeah. not fair. In 2019, in a VPR article, Goldberg says that it's on the market, but... No one has wanted it, from what I can tell, even up to this point. After the federal federal fraud charges were leveled against Kiros and Stenger, they lost all of the all of the property, all of the ownership that they had, and yep. now Goldberg is essentially like a manager overseeing what's going to happen. So developers can come to him to say to to pitch ideas, for example, for the Newport Pit. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they can pitch ideas to him, but they don't, he doesn't know necessarily even now, it seems what's going, what the future of, of the pit is going to be, um, because it kind of depends on the highest bidder and all of those things. Yeah. Um, what locals were saying, and I think that maybe it was the town manager, I can't remember, but they were saying, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to get the money back. So he's trying to get two to 3 million and they're like, it's not worth that. No one's going to pay that. So there's been interest, but no one's. Is he trying it. to get that money also uh, for the interest of those investors who now have lost the opportunity, perhaps, to get their green cards? And yep. right, because because the money that they invested, again, coming back to the fact that this is a Ponzi-like scheme, uh, mm-hmm. the money that they invested was used to pay f- former investors, and maybe some of those investors were able to go forward with getting their green cards but the most recent ones may never see i mean forget about returns on their investment they're not going to see the immediate gains of getting a green card or um, having any sort of leverage to get into this country from what i read it seemed like maybe 150 to 200 out of the like almost 900 people were able Mm. to get green cards. so significant amount were not 
Oh yeah, the vast majority were mm. were not. But to me, what's I think most interesting is you know he's still trying to sell this, but in an MOU for when the property was sold. And it says that, you know, if the project has not commenced by September 1st, 2017, which it has not, (laughs) the applicant will spend up to $250,000 to restore the parcel to usable condition for the general public, like a park, a green space setting, removing all foundation walls above grade, bring the entire block to a consistent grade, topsoil, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Work shall be completed by May 15th, 2018. And that has not happened. So it's confusing to me. Like, I I couldn't find anything except for this. The last thing was this article from over a year ago. So I don't know what's happened now, but they haven't done anything with it. Why is is the town or the state not pushing to make this happen at a minimum? Um, And at least it won't be an eyesore on the downtown. I mean, in in terms of, uh, of selling the property, we look at the comparison to the Burlington pit. Right. Mm -hmm. And see that certain things are definitely assessed way above their actual market value. Right. Is that part of what's happening with this story also? Like, is this? Oh, yeah. It seems like so much of Stanger and uh, Kiros's plan was overpaying, overpromising, underperforming. And so here's a situation where now, you know, these investors are trying to get their money back on this specific parcel and they're not going to. There's no there's no chance they're going to make their money back because he kept hope the Ponzi scheme. And again, this is just the pit is a thing that's that was not going to be the ANC bio site, which in theory was going to create quite a few jobs and a lot of other. This was supposed to be a hotel conference center. Exactly. You know, turning Newport into Davos, too. So where is everyone now? What happened to all the major players? Who faced consequences? And what consequences? I mean, like the most recent things that have been in the news are that Kiros has had to, he's been under very close scrutiny and has been in the courts duking it out. What's What's been the decisions that, what have been the decisions there? So in August, he pled guilty to three different counts. Um, he was initially, initially he pled not guilty to 12 felony counts. Seven were fraud, three were false statements. Um, I wish I had enough money to plead not guilty to 12 kids. Well, he eventually <laughs> pled guilty. He will get up to eight years in prison. Who knows how much he'll actually serve. Up to. Up to. That's the max. I'm sorry. How many people are serving more than that just for, like, possession of marijuana? Kiros, he got, uh, he admitted to spending $16 million uh, for, I guess, his personal IRS bill. I'm not even sure. Um, conspiracy for wire fraud and concealing of uh, information, particularly um, when the South Korean ANC bio was being investigated. He hid that from investors and the government and the, one of the, the businessmen was arrested and he hid that. Stanger and uh, Bill Kelly, former CEO, have pled not guilty to 10 counts. And they're up uh, in this coming April is when their trial or whatever is. The, the USCIS did put the blame squarely on state officials. Yes. For knowingly allowing this fraud to continue. So that's Shumlin, that's Leahy, that's all the And people. Scott tried to keep it going and they said they're shutting it down. Um, so we lose our EB-5 
center. Trying to keep the, the regional center going because it was not just Kiros and Stenger were not the owners of all of the EB5 projects. There were also different things happening at the Von Trapp uh, brewery and those kinds of things. Yeah, at that point, there was like two other projects that had yeah. started. I don't think they had gotten a lot of money yet. It's fascinating how like Kiros definitely, definitely got a lot of the hammer came down hard on him. Almost everyone else is just like moved on and has very successful careers. And in the meantime, Goldberg has managed to try to transfer different EB-5 petitions because, of course, everyone is worried about those poor investors who, in good faith, invested wanted to buy hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to buy their way into this country. Uh, Goldberg, it seems like, was able to transfer those petitions to another project in New York City through a regional center in that area. Oh, okay. This is according to VermontBiz.com reporting. I, I don't fact check any of this stuff. I'm just, that's just what I read. <laughs> so at the end of the day, no one's careers got hurt. Um, you know, the people of Newport are the ones who are hurting. They are still living in immense poverty. The health issues out there, uh, a lot of food insecurity, particularly with COVID. But there's still a lot more cities that have a lot more land that can be turned into pits. We got Barry City, Rutland City, St. Albans City. We got so many pit opportunities in this state. So many pits. And I think that's the lesson, is that Vermont is a small state. And small states, in a lot of ways, uh, attract some of the most unscrupulous grifters. Don't talk about Ethan Allen that way, okay? <laughs> the Green Mountain Boys are fucking heroes. <laughs> Kiros will not be sentenced at the hearing Friday. Instead, his sentencing will be delayed until after the case against two other business partners named in the same indictment as him are resolved. Both of the business partners, Bill Stenger, Jay Peake's former president and CEO, as well as William Kelly, a past advisor to Kiros, are not scheduled to stand trial until sometime next year in 2021. It's not over. This isn't even over. Yeah, it's not over. This is not an open and shut case. In the pits, both pits, 2013 till today. Yeah, we have no idea what's going to happen with either of them. We just know that they will continue dig deeper in our souls, even as the sites lay dormant. We didn't we didn't really talk about the fact that Kiros funneled the money that he got from investors into like this ridiculously lavish lifestyle that he had numerous like multi-million dollar homes. I mean like all the other EB5 Ponzi scheme grifters, um Kiros owned a expensive condo from Trump Towers. He bought a second different expensive condo in Manhattan. He owned a yacht I don't know. It's just, it's, it's amazing that his, uh, you know, he had his son-in-law help him. His son-in-law was a regional manager or whatever, or branch manager at Raymond James, who did all the investing for him and did all of the secret work behind the scenes. And he uh, just had to pay like $100,000. No jail time. Less than the um, foreign investors. Yeah, for he US paid less than the, than the 800 foreign investors he screwed over. This month marks a year since the feds shut down the regional EB-5 center in Vermont. So mm -hmm. happy anniversary for that because it was no longer continuing to promote economic development. 
because what does promote economic development here in the 802 other than maple syrup? Okay, so the big picture here, right? Our whole purpose of covering these two pits was to point out that we're that, better than everyone well, involved. Well, apart from that, <laughs> apart from apart from the fact that we do not participate in criminal activity, the the idea is to, is to connect the EB five visa program with projects like TIF projects, right? With these these public private mm-hmm. partnerships that encourage things like shadow bu- budgets, right? It's really difficult to have oversight, to have the public hold these project owners or managers accountable. It's easy for these people to, uh, there's a collaboration between powerful politicians and investors that kind of allows them to scratch each other's backs without anybody holding a camera in there and getting that on tape. And then also like the idea of having private companies or private entities revitalizing and develop areas for the public good that they should be expected to, in good faith, create jobs and create value in an area. That is not a thing we can rely on, right? We see that in TIFFs. We see that here in the EB-5 program. The investors are not actually interested in creating value in the Northeast Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They're not going to come and live here, thank God, because we don't fucking want those no, flatlanders. disagree. Disagree. <laughs> I mean, we don't want the rich ones. We do want lots of flatlanders, but not just, we don't need the rich ones. In I'm both sorry. cases, it's really difficult to follow the money. And with these with these projects occurring in the private sector, I mean, it's just, it's, it's after several years when you have whistleblowers saying, by the way, all this money that's flowing towards this project is not arriving there like that that's the thing that we have to rely on to actually know what's happening that's troubling well and and i think too like a lot of the contractors did eventually get paid they were owed a lot of money but a lot of them went out of business or had to do something different because they're doing these big projects like allowing one person to own two ski mountains in an area that that's its only economic lifeline is crazy it's crazy i mean it's literally this noble slash serfdom type situation like what you said about Leahy, it made me think about like yeah, here he is saying this isn't going to cost the taxpayers a, a penny while he's promoting, you know, actively promoting and basing the F-35s here, which have cost over a trillion dollars already, like $1.6 trillion. And so the idea that we couldn't use them money for, for to help out the Northeast Kingdom in our rural areas is just... Not relevant. It's, just, it's bullshit, yeah. give them don't give them any hints i mean i already tweeted about it but don't give them any hints they don't deserve it just keep them leaving wanting more to our pit to shining pit two-part series remember to follow us on twitter 
so at unsolicited vt and uh we'll try to keep you updated in the meantime you can get all excited about our next episode no about the <laughs> why not <laughs> <laughs> uh